This is episode number 171 with Director of Solutions Engineering at our studio, Nathan Stevens. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, super excited to have you on the show. And today, all the way from our studio, we have Nathan Stevens joining us. So a lot of you already use our programming in your data science careers or in your data science education. If you don't use R, then you probably have heard of it in one way or another. R programming is one of the two titans, R programming language is one of the two titans of data science alongside Python. It's one of the two languages that we use, predominantly used to create models, uh, you do machine learning, do data science, build deep learning models, uh, even create artificial intelligence. And today we have Nathan Stevens joining us and he's, um, he's a director at our studio. And our studio is by far the most popular program through which you program or through which you code in R. And in this podcast, we had a great time. We had a blast. So some of the things that we chatted about are Nathan's background. Um, I deliberately went through all of his background because he's got such an interesting story. Even before we got to our studio, there was so many fun and exciting things that we talked about. And one of them being what an analytic admin does. Because uh, Nathan is now in solutions engineering, he knows a lot about what goes into building the environment, building the infrastructure for a data scientist or a data science team or a data science or data-driven company. So that is a very valuable part of our conversation. If you're not familiar with things like um, data engineers, data architects, uh, data analytics admins, um, servers, and all these other things that are components of a data science environment, highly recommend checking it out uh, well, listening to the podcast because you will learn a lot about that. And after we meticulously went through Nathan's career, we finally got to R. So you'll learn a lot about what the R language is all about, where our studio is headed, um, what the recent updates are, who they just hired, <laughs> how they compare to Python and all these other cool and exciting topics. So all in all, very exciting podcast. Can't wait to get started. Let's dive straight into it. Without further ado, I bring to you Nathan Stevens, Director of Solutions Engineering at our studio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Super Data Science Podcast. Super excited to have you back. And today we've got a very exciting guest, Nathan Stevens, uh, Director of Solutions Engineering at our studio. Nathan, welcome to the show. How are you going today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Kirill. Um, thank you for coming on. And uh, where are you calling in from? Uh, the Baltimore, Washington area. Baltimore. We were just talking about it. You're like in between Baltimore and Washington. Like, like can't decide where, which one it is. 
Yeah, I go back and forth. I'm a little closer to Baltimore. Yeah, and where, where's, uh, where's work? The home is in between. Where's work? Well, the company is, um, you know, technically based in um, Boston, mm. Massachusetts, but we all work from our homes. Oh, so I okay. work from my home office. Okay, wow. Well, that's so cool. We'll get to that in a second. So how's, how's the weather in Baltimore? It's been very, very wet and cold, <laughs> which has been great for my lawn. Oh, uh, the, wow. the yard's doing great. <laughs> wow. And we're in June. Why is it so wet? And like, does it get hot in summer? I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, it's usually a lot warmer than this, but uh, I haven't been to the pool yet. It's just been an especially cold uh, uh, June. But the, kid, the, kids, yeah, the kids are eager to get into the pool. Wow. Crazy. How many kids do you have? I got two. Okay. Two, two young boys. Nice. Very nice. Um, it's pretty insane what's happening with uh, the weather, right? Like in California, you have these fires all the time, and then you have the hurricanes down south, and then now it's like wet and cold in summer in Maryland. Don't know what yep, to expect. Yep. So, so I'm actually from California, so I'm used to the the, the earthquakes and fires, and then I lived in uh, Kansas, and I got used to the tornadoes, and now I'm out in the east, and we do uh, hurricanes. So pretty pretty familiar with all of those. <laughs> Interesting. And so, out of the, all the, all those places, uh, you found your home in Baltimore. You you recommend that as like the the nicest place to settle down? Uh, well, yeah. I I think I came out for a job, and the um, jobs out here are plentiful, and it's a great place to to build a career. Mm. Um, I think Washington D.C. Tra- attracts people from all over the world, especially in the United States. It brings a lot of people in. So, um, you know, it's just a crossroads for for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and um, I find that really exciting. Um, a lot of fun. Gotcha. So it's been good to build a career out here. It's been uh, it's a it's a good place to, to work. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, uh, being the director of uh, solutions engineering at our studio, uh, you warned me just before the podcast. This was before we started recording that the podcast is going to be our focus, and I wanted to pass on that message to our listeners that this podcast is our focus, and we're going to learn all about the lovely language of R and what it's been up to in these past. Uh, years and where it is currently but before we jump into that nathan could you give us a quick overview of your background like coming from california what did you study and how did you what took you on this journey into data science because ultimately our listeners are all very interested in um following this journey from the start how how you went about into getting yeah. into data science yeah i'll do my best to keep my answers brief um i, I actually learned our and um, and SAS at the exact same time mm. uh, when I was an undergrad in college, uh, and that would have been uh, 1999. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a very old uh, R user and a somewhat young SAS user, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I learned both of those um, through the statistics department at um, in my university, and um, and that was that was re- that was really great experience um, statistics taught me how to um, think scientifically. You study hypothesis testing. You think uh, you, you study uh, science as a, as a statistician. Um, and then there's this notion of um, you know, making a, uh, empirical, um, doing empirical work uh, by you know, studying data and, being, uh, and you know, applying your knowledge to actual problems that I found very interesting in mm-hmm. statistics. So I, I, got, I actually got off to a great uh, start. I was very fortunate, very young in my studies to get some uh, great programming languages, um, some great uh, scientific thinking, and then exposure to um, you know applied science with uh, with data backing mm-hmm. up those conclusions. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. That that's at the foundation for everything that would come later. So that it was that was in your undergraduate. That was my undergraduate. Yeah, mm -hmm. when I was in university. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And where where did you go after that? Um, after I graduated. Yeah. Um, I yeah. So I, I made this interesting uh, detour over into actuarial science, um, mm -hmm. and that's a whole other discussion entirely. <laughs> uh, that didn't last very long. Yeah. I went back to grad school after. Uh, tried my hand at uh, actuarial science. I, I, I didn't find that to be particularly satisfying. Uh, much, it didn't, didn't suit my, my interests. So I went back to grad, graduate school and uh, got a master's degree in statistics. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And just uh, for maybe like our non-English speaking listeners or who, for whom English is not the first language, actuarial science, because like it took me a while when I got to Australia to wrap my head around what that means. It's uh, it's like statistics applied to population and demographics. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It is a broad field. Um, the, statistics is, uh, actuarial science is actually a regulated um, um, practice mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, it's like being a, a lawyer um, uh, in the United States. You have to actually have um, some sort of license to, to practice actuarial science. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to be an actuary, you have to go through this series of exams, and you have to, you know, comply with uh, you know certain regulations in order to to practice it. Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, and so then you did a master's in statistics, and uh, where did that take you after that? So after uh, leaving my master's program, um, I worked for uh, a, uh, a manufacturer a manufacturer of greeting cards um, in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. uh, and I worked in their research department, mm -hmm. and that was a really, really good experience. Um, I got to cut my teeth on a lot of very interesting problems there. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's, I also got to you know, do more R there as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and um, So just to characterize that, yeah. um, uh, so you have to keep in mind, like, in, this, is, this is back in, like, 2005. So, um, you know, Hadoop is... Um, you know, hasn't even really caught on yet, right? Um, big data is like kind of on the ramp up. Um, data science hasn't been coined as a term. Mm. Uh, there's no such thing as data science. It hasn't been, that term hasn't been invented at this point. And most analytic jobs are um, sprinkled throughout the United States. So as a statistician in 2005, when you're looking for a job, you're actually, actually, I got my job in 2004. So let's say 2004, you're actually looking for little pockets of analysts here or there. Um, mm. They didn't really, uh, pumped together in, in large, large amounts, by and large, um, and so you're you're kind of fighting. You're actually fighting for those jobs. You've come a long way, right? So like back in 2004, you're actually fighting for a, a job where a, a statistician could work. Yeah, yeah, and it's such a different world, right? Like and back then, um, data science was pretty much statistics, right? It was called statistics. And I, I had a guest on the podcast um, uh, like a few months ago who put it very aptly that the difference between statistics and data science is that in statistics, you still have to think through like a lot of the mathematical components, like be, come up with eloquent equations and so on, or, and solutions. Whereas in data science, a lot of the time, you can just brute force your way through things with, uh, uh, facil through, facilitated through different machine learning algorithms. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think data science as a term that's really grown on me over time because I think um, statistician is, is, is a little too narrow to define what 
the the world really needs. And the the term data science is such a a broad umbrella, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, almost nebulous term Mm -hmm. that it does a pretty good that that's the strength of that term, that it actually just it's it's all inclusive of this idea that we're going to use data. We're going to be data driven. um, We're going to you know be scientifically minded and we're going to apply that information to the problems. So I, I really like the the idea that that's a general nebulous term. I think that's the strength of the term. Yeah, yeah, and also that allows people from different backgrounds to come into data science, right? Like it's not just statisticians or mathematicians. Like I know people who were in uh, something very creative, like acting, and they leverage their skills in data science through the component of communication with of their results. Exactly, exactly. It's very inclusive. If you want to be a data science, we we welcome you in. Please. Be a data scientist. We need more data scientists. We want yeah. people to, yeah, yeah, think think scientifically in their uh, view of the world. Yeah, gotcha. True. Um, okay, so you uh, worked with Hallmark Cards for a couple of years. Um, yep. And uh, where'd you move on after that? Um, so after Hallmark Cards, I worked for an ad network, and I uh, the ad network I, I got to build. Um, this is where I start. Well, I, my background's always been in, in big data. So even at Hallmark, I was working with massive. Um, data that's mostly on on Teradata. Mm-hmm. Um, at at um, ad at, at the ad network, I got to work with large amounts of data on data sources like Natiza, mm-hmm. Greenplum, and and that's where I started learning Hadoop. We were early adopters of the Hadoop platform, mm-hmm. and this is also at the same time when uh, AWS was coming online. So mm-hmm. AWS was like spinning up and doing all sorts of interesting things, and and we got to jump on that platform. So is that around 2012? No, no. This is uh, this is around like two thousand eight. Ah, okay. So yeah, uh-huh. so, so we were we were early on adopters of, of Hadoop at that point. Okay, I, I mean AWS was it coming online around two thousand eight as well? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Cool. That's uh, it. Yeah. So 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 I, I was so part of part of the uh, my good fortune has been to work with really interesting um, you know uh, managers and, and leaders in my career. So that's yeah. been real fortunate thing and i always uh, encourage people to you know when they go to select their jobs like put a lot of emphasis and weight on the person that you're going to be reporting to because that person is going to dictate a lot of things um Mm. you know about the quality of life of the job and also future opportunities that you will have and at the ad network i had a a, just a real great visionary who's um who's very passionate about um uh, cloud technology and distributed computing and so yeah we we went down that route it was it was very it was a very exciting time actually that's really cool because on the because sometimes I mentioned that uh, it's important to um, during the interview when you're applying for a job it's important to understand what the job itself will be and will tell because that and the company itself because that shapes the future but you're right you have to also uh, understand the person who you're going to be working for who is your direct manager what is what are they like and um, yeah yeah, like I like you. I've been fortunate to have some very impactful direct managers in my life. What would you say was your like one biggest takeaway that pops to mind from that person at the ad network? Oh, um, with that manager, yes. Um, I I think I think there's this notion of um, you know think you know uh, yeah re- rejecting the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking uh, thinking differently, uh, accepting. You know, new ideas. Um, he, uh, I, I think there's also um, this with with him. Um, um, the, the, I'm struggling to, to explain it, but mm-hmm. um, 
he, he was very interested in philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. And and he was had he was a much broader thinker, right? So it's it's nice to work with somebody who has like a, a broad worldview, yeah. right? And can kind of articulate how the work that you know we do in technology fits into that world. Mm. Um, so I, I found that really interesting as well. Okay. Uh, the other thing that was interesting about him and a lot of my managers is that um, I have I've had very few um, statistical managers, people that really actually can do. Um, what I do, mm-hmm. which has been a real blessing because it allows me to differentiate myself and bring something you know valuable to the table, yeah. but also allows me to pick up a lot of the skills that I haven't acquired through my normal channels. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like you know, uh, you know, the consultative work and you know, work, you know, being successful, you know, navigating a, 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 a the political landscape of a corporation, right? But also uh, a lot of the engineering work, um, a lot of the um, ETL pipelines, um, a lot of these things, um, you know, my managers and other people that I've worked with have brought to me. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's great to work with a manager who, you know, complements your skills as well. Or at least that's one thing that has been really nice in my experience. Mm-hmm. You know, learn from learn from your manager from that's maybe not doesn't have the exact same background as you. Yeah, gotcha. And and that's actually a, a sign of a um, a good leader when a person can hire somebody that's better than them at something. Right, that because like sometimes managers can be uh, a bit intimidated if their reports are like better than them at something, and therefore they uh, like that that team won't work out. But like in your example, that uh, that worked perfectly fine, and that uh, usually for me yep. shows that the the leader knows what they're doing and is confident enough to uh, lead a team of experts in different fields. They don't have to be an expert themselves in those same areas. Yeah, I, I think it was funny. I, I remember this time when, when this manager in particular, he, he, he did a statistical analysis and presented it to me and a few other people on the team. And <laughs> we, 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 kind of, we kind of shot it down. <laughs> like, no, he didn't do this right. Yeah. <laughs> and he was so gracious about it. He's like, oh, okay, okay. Uh-huh. Like, I'll leave it to you guys. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. That's good. We, it, was, it was all done in good humor. But we're like, yeah, yeah. It's like, wow. That, that wasn't right. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of yeah, but you know, I I think um, diversity is good, right? Like diversity, I'm I'm a big proponent of, of diversity and uh, building diverse teams. Oh, and that's another thing that this guy did. He um, he built um, a, a team, and it was kind of funny that we called it the data analytics team at the time because data science again wasn't a a, a term. But we had um, uh, data experts, data engineers. We had um, you know machine learning engineers, uh, system integrators, uh, uh, DevOps people, and uh, statisticians as well as domain experts. Mm-hmm. We had this nice cross-cut cut of um, everything that you would need to build um, a, a singular data science team that can pretty much lay waste and devastation to the world. <laughs> like we had all of the capabilities that we needed in that team uh, because it was a cross-functional team. Mm-hmm. And, and that, was, um, that was great. That was, that was just a, a wonderful experience. Gotcha. And uh, in terms of the work and tools that you use at the time or the techniques, would you say that... Um, like advertising, data science and advertising now is different, is radically different to what it was back then in the 2008 to 2011 period? Well, cer- certainly the the complexity has risen. I think the main objectives are pretty much similar when it comes to, to targeting and promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, advertising is still um, advertising. I think one thing that's um, that I found fascinating about going from like a manufacturer of greeting cards to an ad network as a statistician was I used all of the same skills in both places. 
So, and when I went into my next gig, uh, the, the skills carried over. So I was still doing predictive uh, models, uh, segmentations, uh, you know, clustering, supervised and unsupervised learning um, techniques. Um, the, uh, I had to still scrub data, I had to understand the data. So the, the principles of doing the data didn't seem to matter so much with the, um, with the application. I was still using those exact same principles, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that I was going from you know, one, one domain to another domain. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. And, and before we move on to your next role, uh, in in your career journey, just quick question on this, on working with ads because even today, or especially today, advertising is one of like the biggest applications of data right. science. Uh, what would you say to people who are studying data science and are considering a role in advertising, but have never had any exposure to using you know data science for advertising? The the, the I guess the core of the question is: Is it a fulfilling experience? Is it something that you can build? Um, a career around and at the same time not feel like sometimes we see in the movies where people just feel like all they do is sell, sell, sell all the time and they have no meaning <laughs> to their life. Yeah, I actually have a lot of, I, I've actually had that same question in uh, my own experience. Mm. And I, I think it's a, I think it's an existential question, right? To say yeah. like, what what is fulfilling to you and what is meaningful to you in your life? I mean, as a statistician, you aren't rushing into burning buildings and saving children from fire, right? Yep. And you're not you're not saving people from cancer, right? Um, you're not fighting world. Well, you might fight world hunger as a as a data scientist. I mean, and you can you can work on these well. areas. Yeah, you you can do that. And so I think finding what's fulfilling to you is uh, is an individual question. Um, I, what I will tell you about the uh, my experience in the ad world is that. Um, the technologies are amazing, mm. right? And the sophistication is uh, like bottomless, and mm. uh, and the complexities are high. It's also um, it's extremely uh, challenging. So it's intellectually challenging. So if you're a person that like you know, really enjoys the the you know a, a, a challenge, that that's good as well. I think if you're a type of person that says like you know how do I do the most good with the skills and talents that you know I have in my life, um, I. You know, I I think that's I think that's um, I, I think that's a very thoughtful question, and I think there are there are, there probably are more noble things that we can do than you know targeted advertisements, right? <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I always encourage people to to, to follow um, you know those aspirations, and and I think that's actually one reason um, I actually moved on to the next area of my life, which was to do you know client services. I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and then and then on to our studio um, as well because uh, you know I myself have been trying to figure out like you know, where what what satisfies me in my life and you know what you know things can I you know what what types of impact can I have uh, to the world. Gotcha. So for me, building you know doing targeted advertising, it was one step in the journey. I made a lot of connections. I got to learn a lot of technology. I got to challenge myself. It was a time of intense you know um, in, in, intense analytic effort. Um, and I think all those things made me better, but it was just one step in that journey. Mm-hmm. All right, gotcha. And uh, thank you, thank you for the overview. That I'm sure that will be helpful for some for some of our listeners. So let, let's talk about your next role. Um, you went. You mentioned you went on to work in a customer service, and uh, from your LinkedIn, I see that that was quite a length uh, lengthy uh, role. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to learn how to, um, you know build a business around analytics. Um, that's what, that's one reason I went to 
the client services company because I, I worked for a data-driven organization, um, a company that was actually selling, you know, analytics as part of its um, solutions. And I was uh, really impressed with the quality and the caliber of the people at that organization. Um, and that was the next uh, set of skills that I want to, you know, learn about. So, so yeah, I went over to client services and, um, and that was another, yeah, anyway, I, I could talk forever about like what I learned in client services. That was, that was an amazing adventure. To be yeah. Honest. yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever worked in, in that background, but that, that's, that's quite the field doing, uh, working for clients. No, I, I have, I actually, like I worked in consulting, um, you know, selling, uh, consulting solutions to clients, but I'm not sure if it's exactly the same as what, what you're describing. Maybe let's go through your experience a bit and, and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. uh, pitch in a little bit, a bit if I can add value to the conversation. Yeah, well, it's, 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 we, we can call it consulting. It's, it's, it's a mm -hmm. very human-driven endeavor, right? You're trying to help other people you know, be successful with their, with their work and their challenges. And, and some of those challenges are going to be technical. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of those challenges are not going to be technical. And I think that's what I found interesting was that balance of the, the technical and non-technical um, requirements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Especially in consulting, it's like uh, what we found is data science is a more of a bottom-up approach, whereas consulting itself and its core is a top-down approach. And you start from mm -hmm. the executive team, you define the strategy, and then you, it trickles down. And when you combine the two, uh, you have the, both the technical and the non-technical aspects. And it's interesting to see where and how they meet because you know data will be telling you the truth from the point of view of data, but consulting or people will be telling you the truth from the point of view of their experience. And it's always interesting to see when there's conflict in that and how to resolve that. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. I totally agree with that. I think what you see in consulting is you see like what is required to take action on the insights and the understanding that you glean from your data. Mm -hmm. So yeah. just, just learning about the data, that bottom-up approach, you know, that, that's, not a, that's not necessarily enough to actually take action on mm -hmm. those insights. There's yeah. a lot of other pieces in that chain. And you see that in the consulting, uh, when you go to the top down, you see, oh, I see how that information is combined with other pieces of information to um, lead to actions. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely very interesting. And okay, so what is your biggest takeaway from uh, your time in um, uh, client-facing data science? Yeah, my biggest takeaway well, I, I'll circle back with what I said about monetizing analytics. That's why I wanted to go there. And I, I got a good idea of building a business with analytics. The, the answer that, that I came to was that analytics is one piece of a much larger pie mm -hmm. for, for monetization. Mm -hmm. So you don't, you don't build a predictive model and then make money on that predictive model. Even, even in the ad network that I worked for before where we were putting models into production, that wasn't, that wasn't the whole story. The, the entire story is how do you, you know, set that strategy? How do you influence the key players? How do you line up against the market? Um, you know, uh, um, yeah. So, so those that broader. So what I learned was that the analytic piece is actually um, a part of an overall bundle of goods yeah. that ends up getting sold. Sometimes I kind of compare it to like, you know, like maybe like your Siri on yeah. your phone or or you know, uh, Google. You know, uh, the, uh, what's what's the Google answer? Google Now. The, yeah. Um, uh, the Google Assistant, um, like you don't usually buy. I don't know many people who buy their phone for Siri, yeah. right, or buy their phone for a Google Assistant. 
but it is part of the overall value of, of that platform, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I've seen with a lot of analytic work as well. It's like, you know, I, I have a great predictive model. Okay, that's great that you have a great predictive model, but that's one piece of an overall solution yep. that you're trying to come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Very, very interesting um, um, takeaway and recommendation, I guess, for the people listening for the future that it's not just about the analytic solution that is often just a component. Okay. All right. And before we jump to your current role, which uh, was, was the next step in your career, I know people are like dying to hear about uh, our studio and, and what you're doing there. I just have one more question. So you've uh, moved through different roles. So you were creating like in the company that creates cards for about three and a half years or so, then three years in the ad network, then four years in the um, uh, company that uh, does uh, the consulting services in data science my question to you would be what was always was there a common trigger that prompted you to move on to the next role so as you can see the industries are quite varying and it's it's not it doesn't seem like a natural progression um from one to the other except for this last one where you actually intended to find out how to build a business around data science so what would you say is there a trigger that uh, or like a point of saturation why did you choose to move on and leave not just the company but the whole industry as a whole to move on to this Yeah I I'm actually glad you brought that up um my personal experience is that um jobs uh, really change and jobs definitely change for me so I'll have a job where um you know things are you know really great and then um something will change and that will change the dynamic of that job and in that situation, you can decide to, you know, stick it out and keep going, you know, which is, a, which is one option. And the other one is to, you know, tack and go, go a different direction, which has mm-hmm. been the strategy I've taken. So what was that key change for, for me? And all three of those cases was a change of manager. Like mm. I moved from, you know, a manager that I, I really enjoyed and worked, you know, working for to a manager that was out of alignment with what I wanted to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be a trigger for everybody. Yeah. Um, I think you can be really successful in, in a lot of careers by staying around and you know working through a change of manager. But I think what is important is to know that um, jobs are are highly in flux, and you can you can go from a great job to a not great job uh, in in a day. Mm-hmm. And um, and and because either the company you know gets uh, acquires another company or gets sold to another company. Or you get a reorganization of leadership, or your your manager like leaves and another manager comes in, which is kind of what I'm talking about. But those things actually do have big impacts on your day to day, you know, quality of life and well being and, and your potential, uh, you know, future. So I, I think for me personally, like like I I think if anything, um, I spent too long trying to like make a difficult situation work work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if looking back on it, one of the lessons I've learned is like. You know, when things change, when life changes on you, you know, make the change quickly. Like, mm. say, okay, you know, this isn't what I, I, I used to have. Maybe I'll go do something else that, that's going to change now. Or, like, I didn't really want, you know, this reorganization. I didn't want my company to be sold to some other company. But it is what it is. And so what am I going to do about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think if I had, like, actually moved faster in those switches, I probably would have been a lot happier. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it worked out pretty well for me. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the journey. I've been really fortunate to, mm. you know, have had, you know, good opportunities along the way. Yeah, it's all a learning experience at the end of the day, right? It's it's not about the end destination. It's about the people we become on the journey taking us to that end destination. 
Absolutely. I've learned a lot about data science in my life, but my um, career and experiences with other people have also taught me a lot about mm. my, who, who I am and wh what I'm interested in. Yeah. Very interesting you mentioned that because like, I never uh, thought of it in that way. But like looking back now, the reason I left Deloitte was exactly the same, that the partner that was managing our division, he moved on to like a more senior role, a more national focus role, and a new partner came in. And while he was very talented, definitely, um, it didn't align. I didn't feel in the right place. I didn't see that I could learn as much as I could from the first one. And so like after a few months, I was, uh, yeah, handed in my resignation. All right. I, I, wish somebody, I wish somebody would just like have put their arm around me and told me much younger that it's like, look, things are going to happen to you in your career and they're not fair and you're not going to like it, but that's okay. That's just the way it goes. And, yeah. and you're going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. You're passing on this message to all of our listeners now. And if anybody's feeling the same, then um, don't worry. Nathan yeah. is putting yeah, his hand around you right now and saying everything will be okay. I am extremely empathetic to people who are under a lot of stress in their jobs. I understand that that happens. And, and yeah, I am saying it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, that uh, nicely brings us uh, to your current role at our studio where you're the Director of Solutions Engineering. So to start off, maybe give us a quick overview of our studio because uh, we will have some, some listeners on the podcast who haven't used R or R Studio before. Can you give us a quick overview of what R programming is all about and what is R Studio? Okay, so, and those are two, two, two questions, so I'll answer them separately. Mm -hmm. So R, the R programming language is uh, an open source programming language like, like, like Python or C or Java or any other uh, programming language that you might use to, to do uh, data analytics. Um, and it's been around for a long time and it's uh, you know, run by a core group that's totally unrelated from R Studio. And it's primarily designed for statistical computing and visualization. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out that it has some other really nice strengths we can talk about too. Uh, RStudio is a company, right? So RStudio was founded by uh, JJ Allaire, along with um, you know, Joe Chang, uh, was one of the early employees, and uh, Hadley Wickham, um, that you probably uh, know about if you're in the R space, uh, who works for, at RStudio as well. And the, the mission of our studio is to improve uh, computational and, and uh, scientific reasoning through data um, and, uh, and using, using programming. And we don't even necessarily limit ourselves to R, but we're, we're very R-centric, right? We, we um, believe that, uh, you know, we believe in uh, APIs that, mm -hmm. you know, you should be uh, uh, doing, uh, you know, connecting with other systems. And we also believe in reproducible research, that all of your work should be scripted out, programmed. So that you know you can um, communicate with other people and collaborate with other people on your research. So what our studio does is it builds tools that uh, sit on top of the R programming language that really take full advantage of the the R programming language. Mm -hmm. Okay, but, so but, but, our but. most our most popular pro product by far is the R Studio IDE. Mm -hmm. And if you've used R, you've probably used the the R Studio IDE. It's it's free open source software mm -hmm. that you can you can download and use to, to interact with R. Yep, and IDE stands for Integrated Development Environment. That's like the the window in which you program things. It's 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 yeah, the, the data scientist lightsaber, right? <laughs> That's the tool they're going to use to do their work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried programming when I was learning R myself. I tried programming a little bit in the you know the tech you can program R in a text editor and then just apply 
uh, it's like a, R is a comp compiled, you know, R is an interpreted language, not a compiled one. So you apply the interpreter to the text editor and you can still get the results. But it's so much easier and more efficient in, in an IDE. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Gotcha. All right. So that, that's a great overview of R Studio and R. Um, and uh, what about your role? What's the, your role in R Studio? Or in fact, you started R Studio three years ago. Uh, has your role mm -hmm. evolved over time? Yeah, but yeah, my job changes every six months. You know, I'm doing something every six months because because it's a small company and yeah. and it's a growing company, and that's what happens at small growing companies is your your roles change. Uh, so, so I'm a solutions engineer now, and what we do in the in the solutions engineering group is we help customers integrate our products into their systems. Mm -hmm. So if if you buy our products and you want to work with them with databases or with like Hadoop or Spark or hook up to authentication or, you know, on the cloud, um, any of those types of problems, uh, we get involved um, with those problems. Mm -hmm. So we're really there to, you know, help build enterprise systems and help the, the architects and the IT groups, like, you know, manage, manage these uh, workflows. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. Um, and um just before the podcast you mentioned that or, or like in the email correspondence you mentioned that you have moved on from being a data science practitioner more to the role of a data science tool builder and that gives you a new a unique perspective on career opportunities for data scientists can you tell us a bit more mm -hmm. about what is uh, what does a role of a data science tool builder entail and how does it compare to a data, just a data science practitioner, a standard role, and what what are those unique uh, career opportunities that you mentioned? Yeah, so let's let me be clear on like like what the shift is. So I, I no longer analyze live data. Mm -hmm. So data, data scientists are largely there to uh, are a chief uh, component of the data scientist's job is to get insights and understanding from their data to influence decisions, actions, and results. I no longer do that. I don't have live data. I don't analyze live data, and I'm not. I don't take any data insights to in, influence, you know, actions and results. Not not from by live data. What I mean is, you know, li living data that's coming in through other data sources that I can analyze. Um, so l let me explain how I got here. So um, when I was at the client services, I, I always was very int interested in that uh, this idea of uh, systems, right, and like uh, an architecture and building data products. That's what I got to do with the ad network. And when I went to client ser services, I actually got a part of my time reserved to building analytic infrastructure, mm -hmm. right, in addition to all the client services work yeah. I did. And as time went on, I, I found that I got more and more interested in that um, analytic infrastructure uh, role to the point where I was helping my other clients learn how that they would implement their analytic infrastructure as well. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was working heavily with IT at this point and other architects. Um, and I was like, you know, working with the the CTO to you know expand out the use of R, and that's why our studio got interested in me was because like that particular skill set was what they needed over at our studio. What was interesting about that was like that wasn't the primary core of the job. My job was actually to work with the the, the clients, you know, as a data scientist. But it kind of morphed into this uh, other interest of yeah. me doing analytic infrastructure. Yeah, interesting how like you you can discover new things on the job and find out new interests that you have and passions. Uh, well, it was actually really it was actually a real struggle to be honest because um, 
well, you you know if you work for Deloitte, right? Like yeah. you, you work on billable hours, right? Yeah. And so you're under a lot of pressure to build build a lot of hours. We had you had hourly targets, yearly targets that you're supposed to hold up. And all the while, I'm doing this other thing that isn't tied to to billable hours and uh, isn't necessarily aligned with the corporate strategy, but something I feel really passionate and really curious about, right? Yeah. So so there was a, a real tension there about like how to spend my time. Yeah. Yeah, that's when you start working like evenings and weekends and you lose all, yeah. all any kind of personal life or sports and health. <laughs> everything goes down the drain. Yeah, yeah like, uh, that's kind of client services in a nutshell, actually. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, uh, that's, that's very interesting. Tell us a bit more about, uh, before like we move on to the, like the other components, about the career opportunities, tell us a bit more about the um, analytic arc infrastructure. So. I encountered that like in, at the, when I was at Deloitte, it was quite quite uh, closed off to me. I was just doing the consulting work, just doing the uh, data science side of things. But then when I moved on to the superannuation fund or the pension fund in Australia, I was heavily involved with infrastructure and arch data architects, um, solutions engineers, and uh, and all these other different roles that I didn't even know existed. And I found that to be a fascinating role. Could you give us like a short excursion into the world of analytic infrastructure? What is it all about? Yeah, so um, that is a great question. That's a fantastic question. So um, analytic infrastructure um, has two, the, the, way I, the way I view analytic infrastructure right now is, is kind of a two components. You have this notion of a data lab, right? Mm -hmm. You have this idea that, that you have a sandbox to play in where analysts can you know, work with their data and learn and discover and create and and most analysts i know love love that part of the job mm -hmm. they, they want to go create they want to build applications they want to generate reports they want to try new technology um they want to blow things up right i always say like <laughs> data's not not a big difference between a data scientist and a mad scientist right yeah. just a few letters yeah so i i think um creating a data lab uh for people to, a playground for people to play in is, is really important yeah. and then there's this other notion of running analytics in a production environment Right. And the difference between those two is that in the data lab, the data scientists are in charge mm -hmm. and in a production environment, um, the, the IT group or the you know, IT operations um, are in charge. Yeah. And, and and that handoff becomes, well, we could talk about the handoff, but th those two worlds, banning those two worlds is the part that I find very fascinating. So that's that's that fuzzy area where, where I've lived is like, how do you connect this data lab to this production world? Gotcha. I, I totally agree. Uh, in, um, like when uh, I went to this this company, the they you'd always get slapped on your hand for trying to like run a query without asking in advance. I like a data scientist didn't even have yep. access to SQL before, uh, like before I came in. Then I requested the access, and finally, after certain hurdles, we got it. And like every time you run a query, they're like, "Oh, you could have hung up the, you could have hung the whole right. server and you know the production environment, and that's." And then they have, oh, what's it called? They have these time slots, like in in the night when all the queries are supposed to run. I forgot what the the exact technical term for it is, but like uh, they have allocated time slots for certain queries because they know how much time is going to run and so on. And they need to get certain amount done in 24 hours. And one of the first things that we did after like a couple of those incidents where data scientists were like slapped on the hand 
what we did is we set up this data lab or it was like 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 a, I think it was called the sandbox some, some people call it data lab playground yeah, sandbox yeah we called it a sandbox and that really solved the whole issue right like because you can just experiment as much as you want there is still that issue of handover which you you briefly touched on but at least it's not as bad like people are not uh, constantly chasing you up about things that you're you're supposed allegedly doing wrong and um, and you get the freedom to experiment at the same time. So yeah, that's that's so fun to hear you you share that because that's been my exact experience <laughs> as well. I, I I had uh two guys from IT come over to my desk when I was at the ad network and they were not happy at all. <laughs> 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 they towered over my desk with very unhappy faces uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and wanted me to account for myself. You know. And, yeah. Uh, and that didn't happen once, but it happened twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, I, then I got a sandbox also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, it's it's interesting how they have, um, how they have these systems in place to track down who exactly is is the culprit. They they find you very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. They will. They will find you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, um, in in the case of analytic infrastructure, so. It's it's not it's not like the one of the steps is is setting up the sandbox or the playground, um, and then like uh, dealing with different servers in the production environment and, and things like that. What else is part of a role, uh, the role of somebody who's in analytics and infrastructure? What what um, what is like the day to day look like? Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm trying to parse that question because that that also feels like too questions um so so let me do the the role and then the day-to-day so yeah. so the role of a like an you know an analytic ad let's call it an analytic administrator right mm-hmm. i actually wrote an article on our views which is our one of our corporate blogs about um our um about uh, an analytic ad administrator so those analytic administrators they have to be um they have to be pretty awesome to be honest right like they have to be connected to their data scientists to understand like what the data scientists need. They have to be aligned with the, the um, executive audience to know like what matters to the company, like where the value is going to be, like what t- types of solutions are going to produce uh, business value. They have to get along well with um, IT. Um, so they have to you know, bring them donuts and uh, make sure that th- their voice is being heard and yeah. uh, that they're complying with uh, all those rules. And they have to be really good evangelists in general about promoting the, the need for uh, data science in the organization. If you're fortunate enough to work for an organization where uh, data-driven decisions are happening, then that will be easier. If you're working for an organization that's maybe still more like politically oriented or making decisions from their gut, then you're going to have a little bit more work to persuade them that data science data science is, is meaningful in your organization. Mm-hmm. But being a being a proper evangelist uh, uh, is is really important part of the role. Um, what does that mean day to day? Well, like part of the day to day is going to be um, managing that uh, data science lab that we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Like somebody's got to be overseeing those arch- that architecture, making sure that that thing is running. And you can either have, I- in some cases, IT will manage that. But what I've seen usually is more effective is if the you know an- the analytics admin has like some nice levers that they can kind of pull to kind of control th- those things. They're also, um, you know, teaching best practices, right? So they're educating data scientists on like how to do things properly. I, I sometimes call it like shared infrastructures, like airports. You can't have 
all of the planes landing on the runway at the same time. Like the data scientists have to know like who else is flying around them in the space and who's coming in for a landing. Mm -hmm. So you have to be aware of those resources and, and they don't know. Like here's the thing with data scientists. Data scientists, they're just not trained to do this. Yeah. Like you yeah. don't learn it in school. So somebody has to teach them and it's going to be the analytic admin that's going to teach them, mm -hmm. right? Like they, they're just going to do things like like you you and I were just saying, like we're going to blow up stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're just going to do it. They're not going to know. And and that's okay because nobody taught them. So so there's an opportunity there. Yeah. Um, other day-to-day uh, -day would be, um, you know, making sure that you're uh, getting your um, uh, architectural review board presentation ready to go to make uh, R or whatever language you're using an analytic standard to make sure that you have like resources dedicated to that, right? Like that mm -hmm. people are actually funneling human and financial resources in, into that work. Um, and then uh, of course the, the production work is a whole nother ball of wax, but you know, if you're, if you're in the production side, you can actually make even uh, greater impacts. So it's, it's like a big job. And I, I tell people like analytic admin, you'll, you're not going to see that, um, you're not going to see that in, in Indeed, right? Or on your on your job yeah. searches. Like people aren't advertising for it, but it it's an actual need in organizations. And I know that because I talk to a lot of organizations in my role. Like I I'm on the phone every day with with customers and potential customers, and almost all of them have this need. So um, I, I like to tell people that this is something that they're interested in doing. Um, like like I would definitely go for it because. Um, the, the need is definitely there, even though the job description might not be written for it yet. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I just have one burning question from that. That was a great description of, of this whole role. And I think I, I learned quite a bit of new things for myself just now. My, my question is like, could you let me know why does it sometimes take, and I'm sure other data scientists will have exactly the same question. Why does it sometimes take so long to implement a tool in the organization, especially like, for instance, I'm I'm in an organization and I want an open source tool such as R. Like I can download on my computer and run it like within thirty minutes. Why does it take several weeks for an organization to roll that out to me and to allow me to use it for analyzing their data, or, or months or or years, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, so so the, there are barriers here, and I don't want to be like a downer, right? But uh, when we talk about like large corporations, you it's important to know that there's this long journey, decades long journey on how they get here. And a lot of them aren't really geared towards data-driven um, data decisions. And, and a, lot of, a lot of companies don't really know what to do with data scientists is, is, is the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's this notion of like, yes, it's important. We need, uh, we need really, uh, really smart guys, right? We, let's go get some really smart guys and boom, we'll have a bunch of like, you know, financial success. And, and that's not really the way it works, right? Like you really have to be thoughtful about like how you're going to like align a data science team with the overall corporate strategy. And the, the reality is that most companies, you know, struggle with that. So, so when you're in an organization and you say, hey, I need a data science lab, like a lot of organizations are, are not even going to know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. Or if they do know what that means, they're, they're not going to be geared to a way to fulfill that request. So I, it's an evolution, and I, I think a lot of the, the younger companies that are coming up, like if you work for a startup, yep. that's not going to be as big of an issue, right? Like you're, they're just going to know, like you know, we run on Amazon, we're going to be able to spin up these, you know, a, a, a VPN or, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, yeah, uh, basically a, um, you know, a, a new a new server infrastructure, right, or an existing server uh, infrastructure inside of Amazon, 
and uh, we'll, we'll serve your needs. But like a large organization is going to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think that's going to be the cause why all large organizations are going to like um, uh, end very soon? Or you're going <laughs> to get it over? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I, I think there is a tension between like the large corporations and like the smaller uh, companies. Yeah. But uh, I, I think... Um, um, I, I, I'm actually very optimistic, right? And and there's and and I've met very talented people in in all sorts of um, groups. You know, I, I like I work with large financial groups, uh, insurance groups, right? Yeah. Um, consumer packaged goods groups, and and I'm always impressed with like the quality of talent that these different organizations mm-hmm. can, can attract. So I, I'm actually very very optimistic um, about like the future of data science, data science, and and the direction. What, what I get more concerned about, frankly, is that the data scientists themselves don't always really understand like what they bring to the table. So I'll be more specific. The data scientists are responsible for understanding their data, and mm-hmm. nobody else in the organization has that responsibility. Yeah. And so if you're a data scientist and you're spending like you know 80% of your job like like scrubbing data, that's because that is you, you, you're in the role that does that. <laughs> like nobody else is doing that. Yeah. And the power of that is that when you speak about something, um, you can speak authoritatively about that. You have uh, ammunition to say, I know this is true because I actually have been in the data and I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the under-leveraged skills that I see with data scientists is that they take, not not everyone, but not, some data scientists will take that for granted. Like, Oh yeah, it's like I just happened to know all this stuff. It's like no, you you know all that stuff. Like like take advantage of that. Like yeah. uh, you know, make sure other people know about that. Like broadcast that information. Make sure you communicate like what it is you're learning because I guarantee you, you know your 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 uh, boss and your boss's boss they're not looking at that data. They don't yeah. know unless you tell them. So getting that information out is extremely critical for the the success of the data scientist and, wow. and for their their overall happiness of the job. Yeah, and for the success of the business as well. And, and the yeah, <laughs> great point. I left that one out, but that's probably the most important. One. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. Fantastic. That's that's a, such a good uh, expert into that world. Um, thank you so much. Uh, how about we like shift gears a little bit and jump into into R? Let's talk about R and what's okay. going on in R these days, and you know, like some 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 great things. That I'm sure you have so many great things to say about R. I do. I, I think R is fantastic. Um, we, we were talking um, uh, before the call about R and Python. Can mm. we just jump into that one? What we want? Why don't we just hit the elephant in the room? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so, um, so, so I don't think there's a war between R and Python. Mm. I, I think that I think the analytics space is plenty big to accommodate two programming languages. And it reminds me a little bit of the, the conversation back in the 90s when people were like, oh, it's got to be Apple or Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Com- com- computation is big enough to handle two large companies, right? Mm-hmm. And we still have both of these. So I, I, I don't think there's a war between R and Python. Um, I, I think that um, what needs to happen is, uh, you know, you can, well, you can look well. What needs to happen is that those two things need to work really well together. Mm-hmm. And in case, uh, I, I just want to mention that we've, recently made some progress in that area if you if you missed the announcement we actually um brought uh wes mckinney on on staff at our studio and mm-hmm. he's one of the well-known um presence uh, what well well-known developers in the python world he he's the father behind um pandas 
mm-hmm. and he uh, he's now in charge of working in this thing called uh, Ursa Labs. And you mm. can query that if you haven't seen Ursa Labs. It's named after the bear, right? Mm. Ursa, it's a major Ursa minor, right? The big mm-hmm. different little dipper, yeah. and and that the, the job that he is leading up is is really around uh, interoperability between um, data sets and, and programming languages. So what do I mean by that? Uh, um, if you're familiar with like uh, uh, Apache Arrow is is the project that's um, building data sets that can be um, loaded into memory, both in Python and into R and into other programming languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if you can um, if if you can load if you can share data across programming languages, you can easily jump in between the programming languages, right? Like mm-hmm. you could say, okay, I've got this R data frame. I want to like use some Python magic on this. I boot up my Python in, instance and I suck that data over to Python. Mm-hmm. Right now, transferring data if, if, is an extremely painful process, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, WIS is trying to make that um, a much easier process. And it's, it's a very foundational uh, uh, piece in the tool chain that I'm, I'm really excited about. So basically, my point is that we brought on uh, you know one of the key Python developers who works for our studio now. We, we've made our studio much more Python friendly. We're still R centric, right? Like mm-hmm. we are still saying we like R. But if you're an R developer, it's getting easier and easier to work with uh, the Python tools, mm-hmm. all Python functions and modules, and and uh, interoperate between the two languages. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge advantage for um, data scientists of. Uh, the the next generation of uh, you know data science development is to be you know multilingual and mm-hmm. to take the advantage of um, you know uh, the take advantage of the things that Python and R both offer and and, and Julia and and you know whatever other languages you might be working with as well. Mm. Yeah, well, I didn't know that. That's that's a very a huge that's a huge stride forward with the getting the languages closer and yeah, hiring. I, yep, I, I I think it'll take a couple of yeah, it'll take a little while to play it all out, right? Like it's 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 definitely part of the long game. But if I look down the road, I see, yeah, I I see a future where you've got um, people who know R really well that are also very comfortable, you know, taking advantage of of Python. Mm. So Py- Python opens the door to like, you know, TensorFlow, right? Um, Spark, and uh, and those are things that you know we already you know incorporated in in the R stack as good connectors to you know Python and uh, to Spark and to TensorFlow um, through, via Python and um, and uh, I, I think there'll be more things like that coming in the future. Yeah, and I like your comment about multilinguality. That's a, that's a very important or it's a great selling point for any data scientist to have on their resume. That I know both R and Python. I have experience in both. That's uh, that's where the world's going, right? And, um, yeah, just right. If you're a hiring manager, yeah, and you've got one person who knows Python and another person who knows R and Python, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's easy it's call, no, no brainer. And uh, would you? So, is uh, just to clarify, is is your vision that in a couple of years we're gonna have like one combined language, R Python? Which I'm I'm assuming not. I'm assuming we're still gonna have separate R and Python, but the interlink between them is gonna be um, very efficient and very high. In that case, what would you say that R is and Python are good for separately? Like, which one would you use for certain things and the other one for other things? Yeah, um, yeah. I I <laughs> I think you could answer that in a lot of ways. I. 
I've, I've asked a lot of people, um, why, why did you choose R or why did you choose Python? And yeah. I get a lot of different answers from that. Um, and, uh, um, but one thing I hear frequently, one thing that doesn't surprise me is that it seems like it's like it's not even a question in their mind. They just kind of went to the language that actually, you know, resonated with them. Yeah. They're like, I, you know, and R users are very much this way. It's like, I just love R. You know, it's yeah. like, you talk to people, it's like, I just love that experience. I love what it does. And it's just part of like who I am, even yeah. like to the people that really, really love it. Or maybe you want to build shiny applications, right? Yeah. Um, that there are things that R does that Python won't do. Um, you know, Python, I, I, I've talked to a lot of Python, uh, people that use Python and, um, you know, sometimes the answer is back like, well, what, what is R? I don't even know what it is. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, maybe, maybe they don't even know what it is. I, I think, I think if it's an individual choice, I think that's fine. Like I have, I think that's great. Like if, if you're a Java guy and you love Java, that's, that's fantastic. You know, like you know, just use the, the language that, that you want, but. What's interesting about the R language is that um, is that R is so, um, I guess, forgiving or or just in- inclusive of other languages. R, R is a little uh, there's some, there's some humility in the language, and that that uh, it kind of gives up a lot of its uh, control and power to other languages. Mm-hmm. So when you run a model in R, you don't actually run it in R. You call uh, a C or a, a C plus plus or a Fortran library to, mm-hmm. to run it. Right. Mm-hmm. When you run a Spark job, you don't run a Spark job in R. You're you're calling it to the uh, Scala API, right? Mm-hmm. So, and uh, like R, and, and that's totally fine with, with like who, what, what R is about. R doesn't really want to do that anyway. R is just like, let me just introduce you to these other things. And, and, um, and that's, so anyway, not, not a lot of people look at R that way, but that's, that's the way I, I see R is, is more of a, a way to orchestrate, you know, a lot of power and goodness, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to, to work with other systems. Yeah, question. It makes the more, makes the best of many worlds rather than just trying to introduce everything on its own. It's that's pretty good. Um, what, yeah, well, R is pretty R is pretty slow, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you run things inside of R, it's 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 pretty slow. Well, not not uh, with everything. Some things like specific. Uh, what's it called? Like vector operations. There, I think R outperforms Python in some of those cases. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like loops uh, and stuff. A loop and loops and stuff. Totally agree with you. Like our... loops are pretty slow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> darn yeah, slow. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely slow. All right. Um. Yeah. And what would you say about uh, R and deep learning? Like, um, the recent developments in, um, using Keras with R and things like that. Those are pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So just piggybacking on on that, the R is slow. It's like the solution to R is slow is to push that information somewhere else. Like, don't do it in R, do it somewhere else. Yeah. So, um, so with with Python, we're also with um, Keras and deep learning. All of those um, routines are also those. That's a Python world, right? Like, those are all written in in, in Python. And uh, what JJ has done, uh, JJ's our our founder and uh, done a lot of the engineering around uh, Python and, and TensorFlow. Uh, JJ has, um, you know, written a nice library of connectors that allows somebody who knows R to take advantage of all of the work that's being done in in TensorFlow, mm-hmm. and not only take advantage of it, but actually give them a really nice experience. So we put things into the um, IDE to help you um, debug your models. Uh, JJ is very good at documentation as well, so there's a really nice set of um, there's a, a book that you can read. There's a library, um, you know, there's a website. Um, with uh, examples to, to learn about this. 
So uh, basically, it um, that technology is like is there and available to today. Like that landed a few months ago, yep. and we're we're trying to invite as many people as are interested to come experience it, try it out, and learn from it. It's 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 really cool stuff. Um, I have to say, it's it opens up a whole new dimension into problems that were previously uh, we previously didn't have tools for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely excited and very. Very exciting, especially for those who, who are used to um, R and uh, like are now interested in deep learning and AI. And this is finally finally going to be available. Um, right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're kind of like coming close to the end of this session. And time has flown so by and I still have like so many questions that I would love to ask you. Um, but I guess I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Like, is there anything you would like to share with our listeners or with aspiring and professional data scientists who want to grow their careers? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I think I've shared a lot with the career advice. Can I just make a shameless plug for uh, what we do at our studio? Sure, of course. Go for All it. right, because a lot of people don't realize that we actually do sell uh, professional grade products for the enterprise. And those are designed to work with all of our open source packages and tools mm-hmm. so if if you're in the enterprise world you're you're typically looking at like you know security authentication right you're you're trying to figure out uh high availability scaling mm-hmm. um you, you want you have like mission critical applications and, and whatnot in there and we sell products to uh you know bring r into the enterprise and make it an analytic standard in there so if you if you today this if you are using r on your desktop um, at your job, and you're downloading data from your SQL Server database onto your laptop, and then taking it home, you know, and leaving it, you know, at a cafe mm-hmm. or something. Like I, I would encourage you to think about, um, you know, going to the website, seeing what we have to offer, because we we actually have a really nice platform for scaling out R in the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, really nice tool chain for doing that. And um, it will it'll make your, your life better and increase the capabilities of your tools. And, and not a lot of people know that like that's all available. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Thank you for letting me make a shameless plug. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. I, I just I will reiterate that like there's a lot of organizations like like we have uh, executives and directors and uh, entrepreneurs listening to this. And just for for their purpose, for their sake, there's a lot of um, organizations that still use large corporate uh, tools uh, such as SaaS and other tools that are you know just there archaically and it's time to change and um, no, I'm not saying anything in SaaS but like the world is going open source the world it, like the power of open source is incredible and the communities behind open source tools are really empowering um, very fast changes very fast uh, developments in the algorithms in the speed and in everything that uh, the tool requires and so if it's time for change for your organization then our studio is there to help and also if you are starting a new like a business and enterprise or you know like taking a idea to a um, to execution to actually building a company around an idea then you know don't go it's probably not the best idea to go for some enterprise specific tool that you know that is not open source why not go for an open source tool and, and get in touch with nathan he'll he'll set everything up for you 
I think that's fantastic. Can I can I add one yeah, sure, one thing on that? Because um, because I to- I hundred percent agree with everything you you just said. Uh, things are changing rapidly, and when I talk to people, uh, you know, who are in the hiring position, who are trying to build out their platforms, um, you know, and, and bring in the the best, um, you know, to to adapt to this new world. I, I, there's this idea of um, you know bringing in the best talent as well. Yeah. Um, you're you're trying to like capture the data scientists and and they're in high demand, right? They're they could be expensive, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a big investment, and and by and large, those that new demand that's coming in from colleges are going, they're going, they're going to know R, and they're yeah. going to demand that uh, there's R tools available to them in their job, mm-hmm. and so making investment in R, I I, I feel very very strongly, obviously because I've worked for our studio, but I feel very strongly that investment in R is a is a good move in bringing in the best talent out there. Gotcha. Couldn't agree more. Um, all right, Nathan. So uh, thank you so much for sharing all the insights and uh, uh, your wisdom and your career journey. Where could our listeners get in touch with you and contact you if they'd like to learn more uh, or maybe explore the opportunities with our studio? Yeah, you're, you're welcome to reach out. My uh, email at our studio is, is Nathan at our studio.com. My uh, Twitter handle is NW Stevens. And uh, also, everywhere else on the internet is going to be N.W. Stevens. Yep. Uh, and LinkedIn is a good place to get uh, N.W. Stevens, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, li- LinkedIn's great. Awesome. Yeah. All right. We'll include those links in the show notes, and we'll try to find that article that you mentioned that uh, you wrote about the analytics admin. That's, that was really interesting. Uh, I have one more question for you today. What is a book that you can recommend to our listeners to empower their careers in more? Well, I, I'm going to make another shameless plug for a, a, a Hadley Wickham's uh, book called uh, R for Data Scientists. Um, it, it is about R, uh, but it also has some great foundational material just about how to think about and approach data science. Yep. And so that's why I recommend it. Yeah. I, I uh, Does Hadley have a few books? Because I'm sure I've read one of them. And I think it's this one. Hadley has, yeah, Hadley is amazing with the amount of content he he pumps out, and yeah, he's got a few books. I I, I neglected to mention that it's co-authored with uh, our also with Garrett uh, Grolemond as well, who also works at our studio. Okay, gotcha. Uh, it seems like you've got all the top analytics talents working for our studio, and now you're poaching <laughs> from Python as well. Uh, <laughs> we, we, I I have the great for. But I go to a meeting, I, I assure you, I, I'm the dumbest one in the meeting. <laughs> it's really nice to work with such amazing people. Exactly. Like, that's my, like, I always appreciate when I'm the dumbest person in the room. That means yeah. there's places I can grow, right? Like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you should be in a different room. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, and I don't say that, uh, yeah, just in, in false sincerity. I, I really mean it. I'm the dumbest one in the yeah. room. It's a, it's it's a it's a great it's a really great experience actually working with so many wonderful people and they're they're not just uh, smart at, you know at their jobs but they're, they're they're wonderful people to get to know as well. Um, I, I'm just really impressed with the, the character of these people yeah. that I get to work with. Yeah. Well, the character of this podcast has been amazing. Thank you so much, Nathan, for coming onto the show and sharing all these wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. So there you have it. That was Nathan Stevens from our studio sharing his career journey and all the recent and greatest updates from our studio. Directly, you hear it from directly the person who works there as a director. And 
what was your favorite part of this podcast? Mine by far was the analytic admin concept and description. Nathan has obviously has a lot of experience in this space and he described the idea behind what an, what an analytic admin does or what that role entails very aptly and makes a lot of sense that companies should have a person like that on board if they are looking to build a lasting analytics culture, a sustainable approach to data science where everybody's happy, the IT team is happy, and the data scientists are happy as well. So there we go, that was Nathan Stevens. All of the show notes and links and all the things mentioned in this episode are available at www.superdatascience.com slash 171. There you'll also find a transcript for this episode and the URL to Nathan's LinkedIn. Make sure to connect with him, hit him up and um, stay in touch. If you are looking for, for to implement our studio at a enterprise level or corporate level in your company, then make sure to get in touch with Nathan. He'll guide you through the process and please give you some tips. And uh, finally, if you know somebody who uses R programming in their language, who's a big fan of R or loves R Studio, why not send them this podcast? There's a lot of valuable information, a lot of updates on what's going on in the R space. And I think there's a lot to learn here. So make sure to forward it on and you might help somebody out or your friend, your colleague, if you're a relative, help them out in their career in data science. And on that note, Thank you so much for being here. Can't wait to see you next time. And until then, happy analyzing.